I have this one thought that I want to make sure that we know is really clear today, okay? Because I know a lot of people sort of view God interacting their life, in their life from this way. Now, it might not be you, but you've met this person. My life is, is just fine or was just fine until God interrupted it. <laughs> and then he made me do some stuff I didn't really want to do, and now I'm all messed up. Have you met this person? Yeah, okay. If, if you're this person, I didn't pick you out. Okay. I just know that it's this way. But just remember, your life, this is the way they view it. My life is just fine until God messed with it. That is completely opposite of everything the Bible. And if you'll take a little uh, magnifying glass and put it on your life and actually look at it, that is completely opposite of the way it is. I want you to think about it this way. My life is broken, and I hope God kneels into that and helps me out. Is that different? If, if you look in your life, can you see that in your life, that there's, there's some broken spots in your life that you'd like help with? I know, I know none of you have anything that's broken in your life. It's just perfect. Just the way it is. God's done with you and you're just waiting for the second coming. No. Okay. So this is what this is about. We are about to embark on the opening of a new study. And I'm going to start with the Gospel of Luke. Straight through. Um, straight through from chapter 1 to the end. Now, you can ask, and if you want, you can see a copy of the preaching schedule. I get to chapter 14 just about at Christmas. So we'll be here for a while. But it's okay. It's about that Jesus dude, and he's pretty fun. But this is it. This is the thing. So this is the beginning of Luke, chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 4, just so that's the spot where Luke says why he wrote this, everything that's following so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. This is why this is here. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also of the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, just before I go on much further, if you, if you were an Old Testament person, like your pastor happens to be, you would know that as we go here, that the author of this is specifically thinking about another birth narrative of the Old Testament. It's in Judges 13 when Samson is about to be born. Manoah and his wife can't have kids. They're elderly. But it starts off the story with Israel doing wrong in the sight of the Lord. And so God gives them over into the hands of the Philistines. And after 40 years, God shows up and talks to them and says, you're about to have a boy and he's never to drink any alcohol and a razor's never to touch his head because he's a Nazarite from birth. And you think that's weird. But how, do any of you know that any of the Samson story? Just give me a... Because I know that some of... some. I think half the first service didn't, even, didn't know who Samson was. 
It's okay. No, it's no. They know they'd heard the names and the stories, but unless you know the, unless you know more to the story, and I'm going to tell you more to that story right now because now you're thinking you know all of it. The Philistines are Greek extract. You know what that means? They're Greeks living in the Middle East. What do you know about the gods of the Greeks and their demigods and the children of the gods? Say, say that again. The children have a, the gods. They have a lot of gods. But when the gods have kids, when, right? When the gods have kids, who are their hero? What what happens? You get the heroes. You get Hercules. Zeus, well, not Zeus because that's the god, the father, and Jason, right? The Argonauts. You get these, and and Hercules in particular is the one. He's the big hero for them. And he does these massive feats of strengths, but he also speaks in riddles and tells epic stories. Now, the story of Samson mirrors that rather completely. He starts off telling stories and riddles and who's this and who's that, and then he finishes in these great feats of strength. And so I want you to think about how God has entered in to the Israelite nation's history in a time when they need help and release from something. And the Philistines have to actually defeat Hercules in order to stay in control. They have to beat their own gods. They have to fight their own systems of belief. And that maybe God's talking to both sides just a little bit in that story. Now, as I've set you sort of half a bubble off level thinking about that. Let's talk about John. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. By the way, the temple in this case is not the word irenos, which means the, the land around it. If we said church in this way, you were at the church, you could be in the parking lot if it was the irenos, or we're out in the grass or in the building someplace, but this is naos. He was serving God in the holy of holies the word only used for that. For his order was on duty that week and it was the custom of the priest. He was chosen by lots to enter the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, to burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside watching and praying. Now, we're told often that the history says that one could enter in there at a time and they would tie a rope around his foot in case he was struck dead by God and then they could drag him out. Now, that's nowhere in the Bible. You know, and sometimes traditions are true, and sometimes they're just great stories. But you should imagine a world where if you're in the Holy of Holies and you're doing something, and they're outside, you're expecting to be what? Entirely alone. Entirely alone in there. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar. Do any of you ever work in the yard and you get sort of focused on a project and somebody shows up right next to you? What does that do to your heart? Now imagine you're in a holy place and they're not only, they're, you're not only expecting to be alone, there's not ever supposed to be anybody there. You're alone. Boom. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. 
Now you understand that, don't you? He thought he was to be alone. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. For he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Now this is outside of their understanding, isn't it? Yes, because they didn't. They knew the Holy Spirit could come in and do something for a little bit and then would dis- come and go. And he will turn many Israelites to their Lord, their God, and he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I just want want to add this for emphasis. This is not in the text. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said... You won't speak again until your son is born. Okay, so the angel knew exactly what was going on in Zechariah's heart, didn't he? Prove it. (laughs) You're standing in the Holy of Holies. It's not somebody you know. Somebody shows up, and the angel says that your wife's going to have a son, and you say, prove it. And you get your just rewards. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. You can feel them. You can feel the tug on the end of the fishing line here. I wonder if this is tied tight enough to. Should we start pulling? Do we pull him out? And when he did come out, he couldn't speak, and they realized from his gestures and his silence that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. How hard is it or easy is it for you to accept change in your life? Anybody love change? Just love change? I don't believe it. <laughs> no, actually, for Larry, I would tell you that, that, that the amount I know from Larry, that, that he probably does like change. Not everything should, should be changing, but, but some change and then some normalcy, right? But how about if you've had a pattern for years and years and years and years and years, and then that pattern gets changed? Is that easy or hard? So you can understand Zechariah's spot here, right? He's, his, he and his wife have been without child. It's just they've been empty nesters since they got married. And we know how much fun that is. Karen and I have been experiencing that. We've been enjoying it. But not since we got married. That would be a hard pattern to change in our lives. So how, a little mercy from us on Zechariah would be good. 
Now, even if we're incredulous, I would like to think that if I'm in a spot where only God could be in me and somebody shows up, that I wouldn't sort of question just outright, but I'm pretty sure I would. Can you look inside your heart and see that you might question that too? You go, I don't know. (laughs) Prove it. I don't believe it. Yeah, show me. Right. Show show me. So she's over here, you didn't hear that. She goes, If you're from Missouri, show me the show me state. Show me. So now we have whole states involved in the sermon. <laughs> it is the fourth of July, you're right. So I want to go to this next story. These are enunciations. I just want you to remember that when God tells you something's coming, it's, a, it's the beginning of change in your life. And Zechariah has been told that something's coming and he's going to experience some change. His world will never be the same again. Here's another one of those. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and you will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And let's go back just a little bit. An angel appears and Mary is confused and disturbed. Evidently, seeing an angel or having something change in your life or when God comes to announce something, don't be afraid to be a little confused and disturbed. Say that. Just don't ask God to prove it. Right, and some one of the things you'll notice in the in the in the Gospels is when uh, people start thinking around Jesus, it, it turns into a bad thing. Right, so we'll tell those stories. There's people that go, and they thought this. Well, that was shared so Jesus could make an example of them. So here it is. Mary asked the angel, "But how can this happen? This is not a prove it statement," and the angel knows it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. See, there's, this, there's no, there's no um, emotional stamping of the foot from Gabriel. This is different. But I want you to recognize that Mary is a young woman engaged to be married, asking a question, how can this happen? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby will be born holy and he will be called the Son of God. So sometimes in our lives, the length of the pattern that's been established is important to how easy it is to change. But there's a change coming here that these two enunciations start to talk about, and the change is in the way the world understands God. Now, we met... I had you talk about somebody you knew earlier that that thought that their world would be just fine until God interrupted it. 
But this is the way the world mostly thinks about God, that he's somewhere over there, kind of disengaged and barely interested. Have you met that person? Okay, I'm not going to ask you if you're that person, but have you met that person? So what's happening here is that God is going to come in and he's going to kneel into the world is my language. It's not the Bible's language. This is my understanding. In the same way that he knelt into the world that Israel at the time of Samson was in deep trouble and they needed help and God came in and provided the beginning of the turn of the tide. Now, John the Baptist's whole goal is to turn the people and get them ready for Jesus. God sees the struggle, the difficulty in the land, that the people yearn for freedom. They're struggling with an enemy they can't defeat. By the way, that's not Rome. In this country, when we're beginning to think about 4th of July and how great it is to be Americans... The enemy, our great enemy, is not another country. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. We don't have a sin problem. We have a death problem. If you think, many of us think we can get through sin on our own, but do you think you can get through death on your own? I know you can get there, but can you get through it? You might need some help with that. And that's what Jesus is here for, for us now. Now, there's other things that he's doing, but if you want help getting through the most dangerous enemy that you've got, then perhaps you want to have a relationship with the person that knows how to do that. But before that, he's going to enter the world. And instead of being a God somewhere over there, he's going to come and be part of the world with us. Now we've got this pattern of living and we're used to sort of treating God as if he's over there. But what does it mean to have a God that will enter into your world and care for you and come alongside you and kneel in to this creation, if you will? Well, if you'll begin to see him as interested in that, then you'll begin to be open up to a change in a pattern of your life. Because when he enters the life of the world, nothing ever is the same again. And I said this really specifically in the first service. Nobody in America noticed the day that Jesus was born. Now, there wasn't a country of America. There was a continent. But nobody over here, nobody in Europe really noticed. Most of the people in Israel didn't notice the day that Jesus was born. But the day that Jesus was born, the world was on a pivot and it changed places. And the world would never be the same again. Have I lost you? Have I got you? Do you understand that? Pivot points in your life aren't always noticeable. Sometimes you ask Jesus into your heart and you think, well, I asked him into my heart and nothing really happened. You didn't really notice. Your patterns didn't change yet. But he's going to come in and start entering and your future is going to invade your present and is going to begin to change you. And the pivot point, the beginning of that maybe wasn't 
Maybe it is a massive big deal, but you didn't know how big a deal it was going to be because the changes he's going to bring are going to, it's, it's going to be like you're up at the top of the teeter-totter and the person on the bottom jumps off. Right? You're going to go clunk and your pattern is interrupted. Don't ask God to prove it. But before that happens, he's going to start to be trustworthy in your life and he's going to enter in. And that's what's going on in this story is God is entering in and he's telling you he's entering. Now he's told you he loves you. We even sang that song today. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And if he loves you and he's starting to tell you that and he's willing to enter into your life and you ask him into your heart, at what point do you think you get to be the same? You don't. Your future is changed. Your present is changing. And I want you to think about this just a little bit from um, Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah and Joseph's perspectives. These are big, massive changes in their life, but itty-bitty ones in the life of a country, and then suddenly they become bigger because the changes accrue like interest. So now a challenge for you. If you haven't asked Jesus into your life, I want you to start to think of him as, as being willing to kneel beside you into your life and change that. But if you haven't done that, find somebody that you know that's trustworthy. If there's somebody in this room that's trustworthy to you or something like that, then ask them how to do that. Or just ask them questions. But if you have, I want you to ask God to begin to change your life to work that past moment when you accepted him into a pivot where everything changes. That literally, the moment you come into my life, God, that was the announcement my future was going to be different. Make it so. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we continue to work and live and, and be inside you, as, as, as Acts 17 would say, as we live and breathe inside your being, help us to recognize that you aren't just some benign force in the distant, but you are a creator that comes into the world so that we can get to know you. And we're just starting with Jesus today. We're just starting with Luke. But Lord, help us know that this change can happen. In your precious name, amen.